the Halloween, the Halloween Dog Halloween of Dogman, as told to Peter Bernard, read by P.Q. River. Recently heard a radio podcast in which someone implied that Dogman was a hoax created in the 1980s, which had been inspired by the movie American Werewolf in London. I know this isn't the case because I and my whole family fell under attack from a dogman before that movie came out, way back in the late 1970s. This all happened when I was 12, and my parents had just bought their first house. My two younger sisters and I used to call it the last house, though, because it was the last house on the last corner of the last block on the last street in town before you hit the forest. Although my family seemed to regard it as a vast improvement over our apartment, I kind of resented how much longer it took me to get to school or get home. I resented how far away we now were from everything and everyone. But I mostly resented the neighborhood curfew for everyone under 18. You had to be in before sundown, so the law literally changed daily. They would print that day's sundown time in the comic section of our local newspaper to make sure the kids all knew when to be inside. If you don't know what comics or newspapers were, just ask your great-great-grandparents. I was furious that I was supposed to still live like this, being inside before the first rays of darkness onward, years into the future, still living like this when I was 15, 16, 17. No matter how overcrowded our apartment had been, at least it hadn't been a prison. I remember one of the kids at school warning me about this town. He was my age, but he spoke like a man of experience. Trick-or-treaters get done early around here, he told me cryptically. Speaking of which, it was October, and my mother had gotten one of the neighbor mothers to invite me and my sisters to join their Halloween trick-or-treating adventures. That was a good deal for us as we had just moved in weeks earlier and wouldn't have even known which doors to knock on. I remember I went as Darth Vader that year. Back then, Halloween costumes for kids were really idiotic. For instance, if you were going as Darth Vader, it didn't mean you dressed like Darth Vader and wore a Vader helmet. It meant you wore these flame-retardant pajamas that said Star Wars on the front with a drawing of Darth Vader. Then you had a plastic mask of the Vader helmet that only covered the front of your head, which was held on with a rubber band that painfully pulled some of your hair out each time you moved the mask around. Also, rather than have cool Darth Vader shades to look out of, this stupid mask had the eyes completely cut out for safety reasons. Now, everyone would know it was me. I 
begged my mom to let me wear dad's aviator sunglasses under the mask to protect my secret identity, but she never really got the point of anything I ever talked about. Safety first was her cry, and that of all mothers in the country. Back in 1978, mothers ruled, which was why TV was so terrible and Halloween had become safe. And I learned from personal experience that for all their taking the fun out of everything, we still weren't really very safe. Not at all. Because of the sundown curfew rule, all trick-or-treating had to be done by something like 5.45 that year or 10 before 6. How stupid is that? But still, for kids, some trick-or-treating is better than no trick-or-treating, so we went with it, then went home to start separating our hall and trading candy with each other. My father used to call it the sugar stock market. It must be Halloween, he would say, because I can hear that the sugar stock market is back in session. Chocolate was always most valuable, with candy corn the least. It had been a Halloween tradition in our family to do what we called a seance, but it was actually just us playing with the Ouija board. You can lecture me all you want about how Ouija boards are this and Ouija boards are that, but my family back in 1978 isn't going to hear you talking. The fact is Ouija boards were very mainstream and middle America back then. And we all thought of it as a game. We kept it in the top of one of our closets with the Monopoly, Sorry, and Stratomatic Baseball. So we would all gather and use the Ouija board to ask if any of our dead relatives had any advice for us in the new year. I don't know how this tradition got started, since neither of my parents regarded themselves as witches, and I don't think we'd heard of Wicca yet, so maybe they got the idea from an old movie or something. All I know is, each Halloween, we'd get to stay up to midnight, even if it were a school night. And we'd get to try to talk to our dead relatives. And none of the three of us thought this was weird. In fact, we all loved Halloween that much more because of it. We got to watch a brand new TV movie called Devil Dog, Hound from Hell, that we loved. I haven't seen it since, but I remember back then thinking it was cinematic genius. Some day, when you're old, I inform my sister sagely, you'll be able to say that you saw Devil Dog Hound from Hell on its opening night. So that year, Dad wanted to have the ceremony in the woods, and Mom said no because it would violate curfew. This infuriated Dad and led to a big argument. What's the point, he wanted to know, of living across the street from the woods if I can't bring my kids in there at midnight and talk to dead people on Halloween? His face was red, and I remember there was a scary, bulging vein on his head like that alien from the Star Trek episode? Anyway, one of my sisters mentioned that we could just do it on the back porch, which had a view of the woods. This seemed to calm both sides, and Mom agreed that as long as we stayed on the porch, and both our parents were there the entire time, we probably wouldn't be breaking any local ordinances. We all celebrated, then brought three big bowls of candy out with us to the porch so we could get this paranormal show on the road. My sisters had wanted to ask about our dog Benji that had gotten run over. My parents lied to both my sisters that Benji had gotten a job in Hollywood as a stunt double for the real Benji. 
Obviously, they didn't believe it because this Halloween, their number one topic was the concern that Benji was doing okay in doggy heaven. Neither of my parents were into that subject, and they made it clear. Still, there were five of us putting our fingers on the planchette, and three of us were asking questions about Benji Dog. None of our questions were getting answers, and my younger sister was getting kind of cranky. Dad insisted we ask other questions when my sister said the problem was that we were asking in human language instead of dog language, so she began barking. Then, my other sister and I joined in. Mom told us to be quiet, but we missed our dog friend, and we wouldn't get to ask again till next Halloween, so one of us, I think it was me, started howling. Then there were three of us, howling. And then, and then, something. I don't know what, but something howled back. My sisters and I stared at each other in amazement. Benji, they both gasped out. It's not Benji, grouched my father as we heard a second howl, then a third and a fourth. You've just woken up every dog in the neighborhood with your stupid howling. My mother argued quietly but firmly that it was time to go inside, but my father hadn't gotten to ask any of his questions yet, and he was a cranky man until he got to ask the Ouija board his questions. My mother could see how important it was to him, so then he started asking about stuff which was over my head at the time, and which I never committed to memory. It was like he droned on and on and on, and that's not fair to do to a kid who is up way past his bedtime. My littlest sister snored so loud that she woke herself up and squeaked out a mini-scream. This had all of us, except my father, laughing. Can't you forever be serious, he uttered as he stared upward in pain. We're trying to communicate with the beyond. My mom suggested she put us to bed and then the two of them could resume in greater seriousness. But we didn't want to go to bed and we all began protesting and insisting on how not tired we were. Both my parents tried to quiet us down when suddenly... A noise came from across the street in the woods that silenced not only us, but the entire forest. What was that? We all asked our parents. Then I noticed they were asking the same question to each other. My mother said we all had to get inside at once. My father disagreed. He turned to me. Hey, slugger, why don't you go down there and see what's making all that noise in the woods? My mother said she absolutely forbade me going into the forest and how that sounded like a very large dog. And besides, it would be a violation of the curfew law. My father countered, saying it would be safe for me to go if I brought my two sisters with me. What kind of animal could harm all three of them, he asked my mother. She never agreed, but it was 1978, so he overruled her, and off we went into the darkness to see what had made that terrifying animal noise just moments earlier. 
My mother kept calling to us to stay in her line of vision, and my father kept yelling at her to focus on the planchette. You can say what you want about my parents' child-rearing skills or their mental acuity, but you'd be judging them by 21st century standards. Considering how much their generation drank, I think they all did a surprisingly good job. So, there we were. Two girls and a boy, me the oldest at age 12, walking toward the last known location of a giant hairy monster making threatening noises, and all because our father wanted us to get out of his hair so he could play a board game outside at midnight. But I'm telling you, we were a pretty average family for that time. Now, I was a huge Bigfoot fanatic, which back then meant having seen both The Legend of Boggy Creek and the episode of In Search Of about Bigfoot. There wasn't all that much more to see back then on the subject for most 12-year-olds. And one of my main complaints about the Patterson-Gimlin film was that he hadn't kept running after the monster to get a close-up shot. I mean, it's a dumb thing to say, but I was a kid. I didn't really get the concept that if that thing in the film was real, it was big enough to seriously hurt any paparazzi that got too close. It's the job of a kid to know everything, and I did my job extremely well. I swore that if I ever got a chance to see a monster, I'd want to get up close and personal the ABC way. For these and other reasons, lack of sleep probably included, I fearlessly led my sisters out to the edge of the lawn, directly across the street from the forest. None of us had any sense that we were in danger. We were just excited to be walking around outside after curfew, as though we were free people. We were singing some Bee Gees disco song, and my sisters were dancing. Or more properly, they were theatrically making fun of dancers we'd seen on Soul Train on TV. Then... I thought I heard something. I hushed them, and we all listened. Something was growling. Something across the street from us was growling. Whispering, my younger sister said, Devil doggy. Then she jumped up and down. I couldn't see it. I could hear the dog, but I couldn't see it. I was starting to get nervous. I can't see it, I whispered. My older, younger sister said, I can. Where? Where is it? I needed to know. It's the devil dog. It's right in front of you, came her answer. I looked in front of me, but I already had been looking in front of me. There was no dog that I could see in those woods or in those bushes, unless it was crouched down very low. Look for the eye shine, she told me. I had no idea what she was talking about. I could see no eye shine in front of me. It's yellow, she said, sounding almost in a trance. That's when my younger sister saw it. She gasped. Ooh, devil dog, he's up in a tree, she exclaimed. I looked up, and up, and then I saw the eye shine. Its eyes were yellow, and they were
were up in the branches of one of the trees directly in front of me, right across this two-lane blacktop. But the dog wasn't in the trees as my sister had thought. It was just so tall that its head was up near the branches. My eyes adjusted to the light, and I could see the silhouette of the thing. It did have a dog's head, yes, and it did have dog's eyes. It did growl like a dog, and it did seem feral like a wild animal. But this particular animal was not down on all fours. This particular animal held two trees apart with its arms as it stood on its hind legs. It took one step out from behind the trees and we could see it in its entirety. My littlest sister squealed, Devil doggy! and ran toward it. That didn't last long. The giant beast bent down and basically roared in her face. She turned around faster than anything I'd ever seen and went tearing back to the house with a kind of expression so comically frightened that I'd only seen it on cartoon characters before. All three of us kids were screaming at the top of our lungs and running full speed back into the house. I turned around and saw the dogman was following us. By the way, we actually called it a dogman at the time, my sisters and myself. To us, werewolf meant Lon Chaney Jr. It didn't mean a man with a dog head. We'd never seen werewolves like those that appear in more recent films back then in the land of 1978. Anyway, back to the story. We tore inside, past my parents, and went straight to our beds, pulling our covers up over our heads. Our parents were involved in some kind of ruckus outside, and for a while my sisters were afraid they were getting eaten by the dogman. She wept under her covers. I could hear her from my room. I shouted to her that Mom and Dad were fine, but I wasn't sure I believed it myself. When Mom finally came upstairs to tuck us in, it was quite a relief. We all asked her what happened and if the dogman had attacked her. She didn't know what we were talking about. Apparently neither of them had seen the dogman at all. We found this hard to believe, but she seemed to find our story even harder to believe. She said the ruckus was caused by one of our neighbors coming over, saying he had heard them beating us and making us scream. I felt bad that our screaming had gotten Mom and Dad in trouble with the neighbors, but only for a few seconds. Then it seemed kind of funny, and I couldn't help but laugh. I knew the neighbor she was talking about, and he was a jerk, always looking for a fight. So really, it was kind of funny that we woke him up. I suddenly remembered that we had left all our candy out on the back porch, so I said I was going to go downstairs and bring it in. Then my sisters reminded me of the dogman, and I wasn't so sure I wanted to go get it after all. You've had enough candy for tonight, said Mom. I'll bring your candy in for you. Now you kids get to bed. The next morning, we were groggily eating breakfast and getting ready for school when I remembered the candy. Hey, Mom, where'd you stash my candy, I asked. She looked confused for a second, then remembered. Oh, when I went out to the porch last night, all the bowls were empty. Empty, we all bellowed. They were half filled when we went off to check the woods. My father got defensive. Are you trying to say your mother and I ate all your candy, he demanded to know. 
although there would be nothing wrong with it if we did, since we pay for everything around here, don't we? He would always ask that over and over until you had to idiotically agree with him that he paid the bills, as though that weren't his legal responsibility, and instead just some random favor he bestowed upon us. Anyway, I never thought that my parents ate my candy. They had bad taste. They ate garbage food like spinach and vegetables. I had a different theory about who ate those three bowls of candy the previous night. In my theory, Dogman has a sweet tooth. Coming soon, we have a big announcement about how you can hear our stories that YouTube has branded as shocking content. We're about to start a new club and we'll supply you with more details very soon. See you in the future. Check us out on our YouTube channel, Scary Stories NYC. Check out the audio podcast version of Scary Stories NYC, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other popular podcatchers. Bigfoot attacked my tiny house. Scary Stories by Peter Bernard, Volume 1, now available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook versions, narrated by P.Q. Ribber and me, Madeline Starr, forward by TV's famous Timothy Green Beckley, better known as Mr. UFO. And if there's anyone out there who can't get enough of PQ River, search in your favorite search engine for PQ River, and you'll find plenty of podcasts, music, and weirdness. I'd like to take a moment to say that if you have a scary story you'd like to tell us here, you can write Peter at peterbernard.com or you can call our new Scary Stories hotline number and leave it to us in the form of a voicemail message. It's easy to remember. 804-LE-SCARY. That's 804-L-E-S-C-A-R-Y or... 804-537-2279. That's a voicemail-only number, so don't expect any of us to pick up. And now, back to the spookeriness. Hardy ho, hardy ho, hardy ho, hardy ho, She messed around with a blood named Smokey. She loved him though he was cocky. He took her down to Chinatown. He showed her how to kick the gong around. Showed her how to kick the Yari, 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 yari,
Scary Stories.